I grew up in an Arab home and, you know, professions like lawyer, doctor, engineer, like they were regarded with quite a bit of some esteem, right? And my dad used to always kind of mention the profession of like being a lawyer to me. Um, and But it was never a pressure. It was never a pressure like you need to be a lawyer. But it just so happened that I was very much interested in, in it myself. And anytime I would do something in relation to law, I absolutely loved it. When I was doing one of my interviews, the lady that was interviewing me, the partner, she told me that she had worked in the Middle East. So instantly there, because I was actually listening to her, like not completely stressing out, I made a note of that because that's something that I could speak to her about because I was interested in it as well. So listening to your interviewer and being genuinely interested in their journey too, I think is very important. To be very vulnerable um, on this podcast, I had an interview on the day that my dad passed away. So it was very, very crazy, um, as you can imagine. And I think it, it was a very pivotal moment for me, right, in, in a positive sense, because it made me kind of reevaluate everything. Welcome to the Valuable Podcast, where there is value in every conversation. I'm your host, Victor Sasanya, and today I am joined with Ala Fawaz, TEDx speaker and law student with a training contract offer from a Magic Circle law firm. In this episode, we learn how Ala turned her pain into purpose and how she's a voice for the youth in politics and social mobility. Um, but yeah, welcome Ala. Uh, do you want to quickly introduce yourself? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Victor. So I am Ala Fawaz. I'm currently a third year law student at Warwick University. So it's my last year now. Um, I'm also a future trainee at Clifford Chance. And a little bit about me. Um, I'm a big advocate for social mobility. Um, community plays a large role in how I grew up. And um, it's something that is very valuable to me. Mm. Mm, that's good that's good and you grew up in Slough if I'm correct in Slough so just outside of London um yeah Slough and what what was that like growing up in Slough like (laughs) uh I think it was it was amazing I feel like I had a great experience growing up just because of the support that I had there like I really felt like it was a community and as I'll probably speak um speak about in, in a little while like youth services youth clubs the people there whether it's like youth workers or just other young people living in that area um they they've played such a large role in my life and how I've grown up and basically where I'm at right now um so I really owe it all back to Slough. really so were you so were you born like were you born there or yes I was born there so my family moved to Slough literally just before I was born um, so they were based in West Africa at the time and then they came here I think it was like 2000 um, mm. and then I was literally grew up there lived in the same street for however many years yeah and it's, can... yeah it's like a very multicultural place it's it's like home I really got used to it um, and it's very interesting growing up because um, I went so I went to a grammar school and there was quite a few grammar schools in the area, but you the people that you meet at a grammar school is like such a wide variety of people um, coming from all different types of areas and backgrounds. So that that was something that was really interesting and played a little bit of a interesting role in my journey as well. Yeah, and so was the grammar school was that for like secondary or sixth form? Because I know that 
my mom really wanted me to go to grammar school, but um, unfortunately it didn't work out. But <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was, I went there for secondary school and for sixth form. So like you have to do like this 11 plus thing. And it was such a big thing back then. I think it is even now as well. Um, yeah. And it was a thing where like, like tuition was such a big thing on 11 plus. Like every, every, every student would get tuition. Um, that wasn't really the case with me. Like my mum, like God bless my mum, like she learned the whole kind of specification and things and basically just taught it to us. So I'm very fortunate to have had that. Otherwise it probably would have been quite unlikely that I got into grammar school. Then I, yeah, continued on in, sec- in sixth form. Yeah. And so is like grammar school where you sort of, cause you talked about Slough, it's your home, you love it, community, lots of like youth clubs, etc. So it sounds like you're really in touch with like your community. Was like your school as well? Is that what fostered you? Would you say? I would say, yeah, school, school did play a role, but with my school in particular, there was a lot of people that came in from West London. So it wasn't all people from Slough because it was a grammar school. So a lot of people from London would come in to, to Slough to study there. So that's why, that's why I kind of meant where you'd meet such a, rating, um, a wide range of people. Like you mm. can meet middle class people, working class people, people from like different backgrounds. And we were all kind of like put into one kind of school. So like trying to like navigate through that where, let's say you might have one friend that literally lives down the street but then another friend that's has like comes from a really you know um wealthy family it was like such an interesting um thing yeah um, trying to see that so yeah and and when you were young you sort of rose up to different leadership positions um and you joined sort of like youth parliament and so what what was that like or should I say like how did you even get into that so I think it was 2015 and um, I was elected through my school to represent my school. Um, so how it worked is that in the Slough Youth Parliament, there's representatives from each of the schools in the area. And then they came together to work on different campaigns, um, voice issues of young people and kind of speak to local decision makers. Um, so whether that be the MP or people that work around the MP. Um, for example, like a big campaign that we were working on at the time was like a curriculum for life. So that meant trying to um, implement adequate PSHE and citizenship in the in schools across Laos because some schools didn't really have great citizenship, others had like really great citizenship. So, like, for example, like one of the things that we did is we created like a network of teachers to come together and then come and share resources. Um, and I think through the youth parliament the Slough Youth Parliament, sorry, I then got elected to represent Slough as a whole. Um, so it wasn't just my school, but then I went to kind of be the rep for Slough for like 11,000 young people in the UK Youth Parliament. Wow, so <laughs> that's a big promotion. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was crazy, but it was absolutely amazing. Like it was best period of my life. And some of the people that I met like at the age of 13, 14, I'm still in contact with them. Yeah. And with the UK Parliament, we travel to like different areas in the country each year and we go to different residentials. And what we do is we'd all come together, literally every corner of the country, like you find people from Scotland, I don't know, Liverpool, um, from Southampton. And we come strategize, um, do some debating, think about what sort of campaigns we want to work on and how we're going to go about these campaigns in our respective areas. Yeah. Um, so like I went to York, I went to Liverpool at some point, so many different places meeting people that are completely you know not completely different but you know come from different backgrounds 
different villages and like the lives that they just like led were were very different but we all came for you know a common i guess common cause oh, yeah exactly yeah do you know what's so crazy because i'm like we have not even got to what you're doing now but i'm already seeing like the questions i'm about to ask i'm already seeing the trend because you're 13 and 14 like what was i doing when i was 13 and 14 in school i, I was not thinking about bettering actually I mean, I was thinking about bettering my community per se, that, but that was not not how you were doing it, not in a formal structure, like sitting on board youth parliament. Like, I don't even know if that was a thing. Maybe that's because I wasn't engaged that much in school, but I cannot remember any, like I, so I'm, I live in Dagenham, so I grew up in Dagenham, um, Borough, Barking and Dagenham. We had we had a rep from from Barking. Is there is there a rep there? Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> then it, it goes to show. See, I was not involved in the community. Um, not like that. Not formally. Probably informally. Like just with you know growing up. I don't know with your with your boys. Maybe we used to complain about different things in our community. But at fourteen, who's thinking that we can change anything? Really? Like we we're, we're we're just trying to we're learning. Like we just come out of primary school. So it's, it's crazy how at that young age. You had reps from different boroughs. You were basically with future leaders. Like you were with younger leaders who yeah, saw things way before we ever did. And you were trying to actually implement strategies to change things. Because I think as young people, when you really think about it, we like, well, when I, what I used to think is that we can't, who am I to change a system that's been here for many years before me? I'm, I'm still in the school. Like I'm still 14, 15 and you're, you're out there sort of already this element of networking from young people. I didn't hear about this term until I was in sixth form, but you're already doing it. So it's crazy. And do you think that's where you sort of built some sort of confidence or your communication skills? I think the key thing is what you mentioned was network. I think that that was the most, one of the most valuable things, but also just to what you were saying before, like it was a lot of fun. It wasn't, it wasn't all serious. It was a lot of fun. Like they, I remember when they came to my school, like I said, it was, just a way of contributing to the community. Um, it didn't seem as serious. Obviously, when you are discussing serious issues, you know, there is an element of, you know, you have to be serious, like you're working on things. But at the same time, it was a lot It was a lot more than just issues. You were literally bringing people, young people together. And I think that in itself was very, very powerful. Um, and just building a network, a nationwide network of young people that all are trying to bring about change in different ways in their own areas I think that's the the most powerful thing about the UK's parliament is that itself connecting mm. people from these different places. Um, wow. And, yeah. and sort of like when you connected with these different people, like you said, you, you moved up from Slough. I mean, you, you were just taking promotions, should I say. Um, but is that, did they teach you about politics? It, it sounds like a silly question, but like, I, again, I don't hear like, in fact, let's even break it down because I don't want to assume everybody even knows what politics is. What is politics, or what's part? What's a youth parliament, and why? Why do they even exist? Okay, this is this is great. So, with the youth parliament and the UK youth parliament, they are apolitical organisations. So they're youth, um, basically youth organisations, right? But they do not um, campaign for a specific party. Um, you are not when you're representative. You are not meant to, um, I guess, like actively um affiliate yourself with a political uh, with a political party you are apolitical you're there to represent young people so in the youth parliament in the uk youth parliament you have people with different political ideologies that's also 
um, pretty important as well. Can we just explain what that what that means? So, um, so just have different views on different issues. So, you know, not everyone's going to agree on the same things and they had different beliefs as well. Um, and they might be, you know, leaning to certain parties that were maybe different to the party, the party that I'm leaning to. So you had difference in political beliefs. Yeah. And so it did teach me about politics in terms of obstacles. Like what are the certain obstacles that people face um, when you're trying to, let's say, campaign for an issue or you're trying to bring about change? There's a lot of political things that you have to take into consideration. Like, for example, if we wanted to campaign for something like votes at 16, so 16, 17 year olds have the votes, we kind of had to be a little bit kind of tactical and think, OK, well, you know, what what is the biggest obstacle? Will the, the government um, currently in power, will they support something like this? So what is the likelihood of something like this being achieved? So you had to take things like that into consideration. But they did not specifically teach you about like certain parties and their beliefs. You did engage with, you know, both of the main parties. It just depended on, I guess, your community, your constituency. Um, so the area that you lived in and who your MP was. Um, so, for example, you might be supporting a specific party, but your MP that you're trying to um, work with as a youth campaigner, they might be of a different party. Like, so they might have different beliefs, but you still have to engage with them. You still have to work with them. Mm. Um, in that community in, in yeah that's quite interesting actually so um for yourself like what was that like did you ever have any sort of conflict with trying to push for a certain campaign um working with people with different beliefs because I think this is um is not just beneficial in terms of being in youth parliament but in life like if you enter the workforce you might not believe something your colleague is believing or you might have different views but you're part of one team trying to push towards the the end goal so i think this will be really you know valuable for people to hear sort of how, how do you deal with that sort of conflicting views i think at the time it wasn't such a problem i have well i still have an amazing mp um tandesi he's so he was so supportive of everything that we were doing in the community um so i didn't really have a problem with trying to get our MP at the time um on our side to kind of listen to what we had and we had to say but I think I think this conflict and beliefs I think was more noticeable once I had left because at the time when you're at that stage um you're still learning about you know what different parties believe like where do you stand like I'm still at the stage where you know you still feel a little bit lost in this whole like political system and yeah. you don't know really where you belong. Um, but I think now I'm starting to see the conflicts a little bit more, um, just being simply at university as well, um, speaking to people um, on a personal basis. And I think a lot of the time, even back then, when there was a conflict in like beliefs, it wasn't always with the people that what other um youth campaigners but it was more so people that were let's say around me um so other young people let's say in my community so if I was to propose to people you know like some of my peers oh votes um votes 16 16 and 17 years should have the right to vote some of them will just look at me like no I don't think we should so I think there was there was more disagreement people around um I guess people around me because at the same time mm. you're not just convincing politicians you're not just convincing local decision makers or of people in business or 
or so on, you also have to convince young people around you. And that was one thing I guess people kind of um, dismiss a little bit because you're not just trying to influence those at the top. It's also other young people who might not think, okay, youth parliament, they're not going to really do anything. Number two, you know, why should I really even vote or why should I be a part of this process? Or, you know, that this whole thing is just pointless. You have to convince other young people too. That's so important. Yeah. That's probably, I think probably harder because how can you have like a united front and influence those that are in charge when your peers, you know, are, are just not with it? So yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's good. So like, because, so do you think then that young people should be more engaged with politics? Because, I think a lot of people, I won't speak for everybody, but myself, I'll just use myself as an example is that I'm 21 now. Right. And, um, I wasn't engaged with politics up until, and I'm not super engaged with politics to just tell you the honest truth. Um, but I'm, I'm like, I'm still aware up until like when I was 19, 20, when, when we had to vote. Right. That's when I started. So do you think that it's necessary for like 16 year olds, 17 year olds to get engaged with politics at such a young age? This is something that I actually spoke quite a bit about um, during my TED talk. And I kind of just navigate my journey through being youth campaigner, being really involved in politics and all the, you know, different changes that, that were happening in, you know, like the government, um, knowing the ins and outs to being at a stage now where I feel like that's definitely not what politics is all about. Okay. You don't have to know who, you know, just resigned or internal party, I don't know, troubles or conflicts to know about politics and that's the main thing that I really started to realize very recently that it, politics is very personal you like I said you might not know about certain parties or who even belongs in those party in, in those parties but what it is about is about the things that you care about it's about your own experiences um and you know a lot of people don't have to learn about politics because it's their lived reality it's their lived experiences that is politics. And it's kind of a thing where you have to um, engage or let politics kind of, you know, determine your chances, determine um, how you lead your life. So I think it's it's very much personal. So to say that it's just reduced to parties or what you see on BBC News is very reductive of what politics is. It's a lot more than that. It's very personal. It's about, you know, it's about the things that you believe. It's about, you know, how you treat other people. Like, that's politics, okay? How you communicate with others. What sort of attitudes do you have towards certain people? That is, it's all rooted in something political, right? You know, your your own family situation or your household issues that you might be facing, whether you're a working class family, whether you're on benefits or all these different things, the certain school that you went to, that is all politics. So I think a lot of people don't realise how much they are already engaged in politics. But I think the one thing that needs to happen now is that they need to be, you know, young people should be more empowered to drive what happens in their lives and realise how everything is rooted, I guess, in politics. But it's, yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot more than just parties. It's yeah. life. No, I, I agree. And, and, congratulations for the TEDx talk I was about to mention it and and you said something you said that politics is over intellectualized what what did you mean by that I think when you think of politics the first thing you think about is like things that are happening on the news things are so complex you know um different processes or 
like thinking about everything very critically and thinking, I don't know, using philosophers and thinkers and all these things, especially when at uni, like politics is such a, it's like a, it's a study, but it's, it's, it's more than that, right? It's, it's your life. It's, it's a lot more simple. It's a lot closer to home than people think. Um, it's, yeah, it's not something that just people study or write essays about. It's lived experiences at the same time. So people that might not know like I just said all these processes or all these what certain ideologies are what liberalism means or what all of this means right they don't a lot of people some people don't need to don't need to know what that means because they are living everything that people are studying if that makes sense that's not to say that things like theory and the, the, the study of politics is not important it is but um I think by over intellectualizing politics, it starts to exclude people, and people start to feel like they're not a part of the conversation. So that's what I kind of meant. Yeah, absolutely. And I can see through your journey, sort of engaging with politics and doing that TEDx talk, like you're really a great speaker. And I, <laughs> I, I admire because I, I do a bit of speaking myself, so I can definitely um, tell when someone is really passionate about something or you're bold and you, you get up across your points like with clarity. And I just wanted to touch on sort of that, that speaker element. Like how did, how was the TEDx talk? How did you feel when you got up on stage? I think it was amazing. Like I hadn't spoken in public um, in a long time ever since COVID. So it was very, I was, I was nervous. Like I've spoken so many times in front of people, but I was still nervous. It was very exciting. It was very empowering. Um, But at the same time, to be honest with you, like I was at the time I had loads of assignments. So I was very stressed. Um, So I guess the talk just gave me something a little bit to be excited about. Yeah. And and do, do you plan it? Like what's your, did you plan what you're going to say word for word? Did you have notes? Did you just go out there and just speak? So um, I, so how it started is I applied to do the TEDx talk on the same topic last year, but because I had so many assignments, I said to them that like, I can't, I can't come to the interview. Like, sorry, but then this year I was like, you know, I have to do it regardless if I'm flooded with work. I just have to do it. So then you know you had interview application all that stuff, um, and yeah, so you can plan it. You some people go up there and just kind of do give it all they've got but because it's pretty long um I definitely did plan it I did have notes so I could see like my notes um but at the same time yeah I think once it's once the information the content that you're saying is so close to it's close to home like it's Mm -hmm. it's it's a little bit easier because you're talking about yourself so it's kind of you don't have to memorize you know if you know yourself well and you know your experiences and the things that you're passionate about like it was a little bit easier for me in that sense I wasn't like talking about loads of case studies and all these facts that you need to know was just I guess my story yeah no that's powerful and where can we watch it watch it back is it possible to watch it back um so not at the moment so like it takes a a long process for them to kind of like edit and then they have to kind of send it off to TEDx they need to approve it so it is a little bit of a long process but when it is um you'll definitely yeah have access to it <laughs> no perfect we'll, we'll make sure i might I personally just you know write up a, a new email making sure all the subscribers have yeah. access to that video because i think it's definitely would be worth a watch um but you talked about assignments a lot so you're about to finish um university studying law where, where did this come from in terms of like your journey into law 
So my earliest memory um, of wanting to do law was actually in primary school, funnily enough. I remember always saying um, in primary school that I either wanted to become a scientist or a judge. And I didn't really know what each of them exactly was. I knew one was to do with science and the other one was to do with law. And that was probably just about it. Um, I grew up in an Arab home and, you know, professions like lawyer, doctor, engineer, like they were regarded with quite a bit of some esteem, right? And my dad used to always kind of mention the profession of like being a lawyer to me. Um, and But it was never a pressure. It was never a pressure like you need to be a lawyer. But it just so happened that I was very much interested in, in it myself. And anytime I would do something in relation to law, I absolutely loved it. Um, so no one that I knew in my family had done law or were working in any corporate jobs. Like I still struggle to try and explain to like my mum like what it means to work in commercial law. So yeah, so like my my parents had like working class jobs. Um, but I was interested in things like debating since primary school. I used to take part in mock trial competitions. So it's basically where you pretend to be like a, a barrister and you'd go and argue in a court against like, other schools. Um, I would... I went to like some summer schools um, in year 10 and they went and just taught you things about law. So as if you were doing like a law module and I went into that in, in summer, um, I was able to get like a, a bursary to do that. And everything I was doing, so every step of the way, it, it just made sense. I was, I completely loved it. So the next step of undertaking a law degree, like I felt like that was a natural step for me like I loved history I loved politics and philosophy and law just encompassed all of that um as a as a degree um yeah like I was such an eager child so before I had even done my GCSEs like I would spend a ridiculous amount of time after school just researching unis and law degrees like I'd been planning for a long time before I even got to the stage of applying at UCAS. like I knew Mm -hmm. which I've unis that I wanted to apply to since like year 10 I was I was very much eager in that sense and I had been working towards it like from a pretty early stage yeah and so where did that eagerness come from so young because I'm sure it doesn't just you don't just wake up and say I'm going to be a judge I'm going to be a barrister <laughs> or a lawyer I mean I, I don't think it works like that but so where do you think that sort of stemmed from is it linked to the the youth parliament and stuff is it linked to making change in your community I think it's definitely community aspect but I would also say personal it's quite personal as well I think a large part of my academic journey it was a bit of an escape I would say um a lot of things during that time in secondary school a lot of things were happening in my life and things I couldn't really control so like personal things I say to the family but I used to always say like there's some things I can control and I used to always see it sounds so cringy but like I used to think hey I can control my academics I can control my career so let me just focus on that and put a lot of effort into it and that's like really that's what I did it was you know a way for me to look forward for something something that can that completely transform my life and my family's life um so when I like say I'm an eager child and I used to spend my time researching all these like work experience or unis and stuff like it's not just like an ideal pathway um that everyone needs to go through to become a lawyer straight away but my passion it came out of hardship I would honestly say it came out of hardship you know living 
in a low income household experiencing the things that were happening in my life and I just needed something like some sort of purpose honestly that no. to get me kind of through that something to look forward to that could change my life and that's where I was like okay, I need to focus on at school I need to you know get my grades I need to go to a good uni I need to get a good job so I feel like that's where the passion and the focus and the drive came from like I knew you know the hardships that my family um, were facing and I knew where I wanted them to be and where I wanted to be and what my life what I wanted my life to look like so that's really where it began it was honestly the passion and the focus came from hardship it's not all like glitz and glamour it's yeah it's not that I just woke up and I'm such an eager person that wanted to do everything right like it was not that at all not at all it sounds like to me like the pain breeded purpose and you said something that was so key you said that you can't because you're so right there's so many things in this world we can't control but you're like I can control my career (laughs) and that is so true I feel like many similarities between me and yourself like from a young age I knew that there are some things I can't control but I can control my career. I can control my outcome. I can control where I'm going to go in life. And you know, the famous saying, um, you're a product of your environment. Mm-hmm. Hmm. How much do I agree with that statement? I think I agree with it, but people assume that you can't change your environment. Does that make sense? So like, oh, she's like this, he's like this. Why? Because they're a product of their environment. If they grew up in a low income household or a bad community, that's what like we shouldn't expect much more but it's sort of like you're that's based on the assumption or the premise that you can't change your environment and I think you can and you can do that mentally internally in terms of your vision in terms of um how you perceive the world your goals um your self-development and you can do that externally to an extent I mean I don't I'm not saying to run out leave home and go homeless like in the middle of the, the city but I feel like you can change your friends you can change people who you choose to hang around with and the fact that that eagerness or that drive to want better for yourself came from that sort of hardship and um, you know it's it's, it's lovely that like, I, I not not the hard bit, of course, but the fact that the purpose is breeded out of the pain and we're seeing so many things you're doing now. And it's not just like you've you're at university studying law, it's the fact that this is a valuable podcast and you're you're very valued in what you do. Like so you've done a couple of internships at some major law firms. Like we won't mention them, but I'm sure people know like some major law firms um and you received training contracts to to come back so can you talk to me a bit about how did you actually go about applying for these law firms or being picked doing the internship and then getting getting rewarded a training contract it began in I would say like sixth form so like I said I would always be researching things my school never really kind of introduced me to corporate law or anything like that I was interested in law generally but I was just exploring those different things so I explore things like immigration law um like refugee and asylum law so many different things criminal law um and then I stumbled upon a work experience at a magic circle law firm um which was you know the purpose of it was to get underrepresented groups um and introduce them to commercial law so I stumbled upon it and I just kind of went went through the whole application process and this was in year 13 so in year 13 that was when I had my first exposure to commercial law with the firm that I um, now currently have a training contract at so I had met them quite at a young young age when I didn't know like what it was like to work you know in Canary Wharf going there with the big you know skyscrapers feeling like such a little girl 
um like I remember rocking up one time like in vans like I just didn't like I don't know what <laughs> really? I was yeah I don't know what I was entering can I ask a quick question wait so is it is it like suits <laughs> It felt like it for sure. Like when I was getting on on the tube early in the morning, everyone's walking with purpose. Like I was walking with purpose too. Like I had somewhere to be. Like it was great. So, um, so that's where I started in sixth form, and that's where I started to find out about opportunities in first year. Um, so from then, like I was determined. I was like, okay, before you get to uni, because first year applications open pretty early for law, and for certain firms, like yeah, the the deadline closes early too. So before I went into first year, like I wrote in my book, like the different, I went, done a lot of researching, opened my book, wrote loads of different firms about a little bit about them and when their first year applications um, opened and closed. So before I went into first year, I knew exactly which events like I kind of had to go to, which firms I needed to speak to um, and basically where I wanted to apply. And, And I think that was very key because doing a lot of the hard work in first year meant that now like I can I don't have to focus too much on that side like applying for training contracts so when I had my first year schemes some of them have fast tracks so with Clifford Chance I did spot and you can get a training contract at the end of the spark scheme so that's how I got my training contract with um, Clifford Chance and with the other firm um, I also did a first year scheme and I then applied for a direct training contract with them. And from the beginning, I had my eye on two firms. And they were the two firms that I had met when I was in year 12 and year 13. So from the beginning, even though I applied to loads of other firms, I had my eye on those two. Wow. And I think that's very key because a lot of the time, sometimes it can be a numbers game, like applying, you know, is it luck if you if you get an internship or not? But I think for me, like my strategy was, it's okay if I don't get the others. The others can be practice for the two that I want. As long as I get the two that I want, I don't need to get five training contracts or five internships. Like I just need the ones that I want. And they're the ones that helped me get in the door in the first place and told me about commercial law. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of how it um, worked out. Yeah. And so you have like a laser vision focus in the sense that, this is why this is the industry I'm coming into. And uh, yes, if I get these opportunities, it's great, but I'm looking for this too. And just a quick question. So what is a training contract? Like, what does it mean? A training contract is a graduate um, role. So once you leave university, you have to do a qualification. If you're becoming a sister, so this is what I'm doing. My process is I'm becoming a sister, not a barrister. So they have two different processes. So because I've done a law degree now, once I finish my degree, I have to do something called the LPC. And that's where you go and study a little bit more. So you go to, I think whether it's, I think it's like the University of Law and you study for six months, um, things specific to the industry and you do exams. So it's basically like uni. After that, um, you start your training contract and it is a two year kind of process where you go into different areas in the law firm and you try different different areas. Because going into the industry, going into commercial law, you don't really know what area you want to sit in because they do such a broad, um, they have such broad areas, they work in those different sectors. So you go in and you sit in different seats, so six, let's say, departments or um, practices. And then at the end, you pick it. So by the end of your training contracts, 
you would have had exposed you would have been exposed to six different areas and then you you kind of choose the one that you want to sit in then after your training contract then you become qualified as a qualified lawyer yeah so you become a newly qualified sister and then it goes from there. <laughs> yeah. So what's the difference between a solicitor and a barrister? Because I think lawyer or law sort of like a hodgepodge term, yeah. but there's really different nuances and different roles in it. And you mentioned commercial law a lot. So is that where the bag is? <laughs> so um, Yeah, it might be. <laughs> yeah. Um, so funnily enough, I actually wanted to be a barrister before I wanted to be a solicitor. And a barrister is essentially the person they are the advocate so they are the ones that are going into court representing their client so they have a very direct relationship with the client and if matters go to a court they that's that's the person that you see in the wig standing up there representing somebody that is basically a barrister they can have um they are known to be kind of working long hours i guess solicitors work long hours as well um but it's, it's a bit of a different process with how you're allocated work, how the process of getting, um, you know, becoming a barrister is also very different. Um, whereas with a solicitor, it's more office based. Yes, most of it's office based unless you're working in like a specific area um, and you're kind of dealing, you're doing a lot of negotiation, a lot of, you know, contracts um, and deals. There's so it's, it's pretty hard to ex- like explain the difference. But let's just say, the solicitor is a person dealing with like the paperwork <laughs> for to, to make it really simple. And the barrister is a person that is going to the court. So the solicitor would instruct the barrister and say, okay, this is what you need to do or uh, give all the documents to the barrister and the barrister would go to court. You said that you're obviously going down the solicitor route. So was there, what's the purpose behind that? Why do you believe that this is where you want to go in and, and provide value? I think, um, honestly, the solicitor route seemed a little more straightforward. With a barrister, there's a lot more obstacles, especially if you come from working class background. Um, there's a lot of financial assistance that, that you will need. I think it, it you can get scholarships to kind of do the qualifications and things like that. But there are I think there are a lot more obstacles in that sense. Whereas with a solicitor, especially with commercial law, there are a lot more, um, I would say personally, a lot more forward thinking and more progressive. So they will actively, the law firms will actively try and engage with communities that might not have these resources. So that's exactly what my firm did. Um, and they will try and help you throughout the process. So if I didn't have a training contract, I would have had to pay for the LPC. I would have had to fund that on my own. But because I've got a training contract, the firm will pay for that. With a barrister, it's a little bit different. There's more obstacles. It might take a, a bit longer to make money. And I'll be lying if I said that that wasn't, you know, a factor. It definitely is when you come from, when you come from like where I come from kind of thing. So um, I think that was a big, big thing that actually did attract me to that route as well. So no fairs you have to you have to be honest like we, yeah. we we all want the bag to some extent but um and I know for you it's just not the money at all because you you're actually passionate about this and you created your TikTok page and you're sharing um so many different videos helping people from underprivileged backgrounds get into law so um if there was somebody listening and even if they they finish because it's not too late to get into law even if you finish university you study something else or like there are apprenticeships right now that people are literally just doing a law apprenticeship and becoming a lawyer within like six years. So what, what do you recommend? What sort of your tips? 
I think everyone, um, a lot of people can work hard, right? You can develop, you know, skills of critical analysis. A lot of people can do the job well, but I think being authentic is very key to progressing, um, whether it be through the application stage, interview stage, but in your career as well. Um, I think it's about being able to display who you are to the people you're talking to, um, whether it be the interviewer or someone you're networking with or, or your colleague even. It's about knowing what makes you you. I think that's very, very important. So what principles do you live by? What do you stand for? It's about com- it's about being confident in these things and knowing these things. So when people meet me, I want them to know, for example, how much community means to me. I want them to know what I stand for. And I've always said that in every aspect of my career, I'm going to bring these principles, you know, of love and community with me. So, you know, like I've, I've said, my community built me and that's my story. So think about what you care about, because not only will that impact your relationships, but it's crucial, crucial, sorry, to deciding where you want to work. Because a lot of different firms have different cultures and they value different things. So try and see whether your principles and your values align with that. Um, I think that's very important. So know yourself, be confident in knowing these things. So people can see see you for who you are, know your story. I think that's very important. I think also what makes a valuable lawyer or, or an applicant is understanding the industry very well. Um, understand the industry and your placement within it. So what I mean by that is, as a trainee, what is your placement within the, in, um, within the law firm? What is your purpose? Because at the end of the day, you're not just working for businesses. You're not working for clients. You're working within a business itself. Um, when you recognize that law firms really appreciate that because looking at it from that perspective makes you understand the purpose of every task you're you're doing and every task that you're given you know how it contributes to the firm and whether it's a cost or whether it generates revenue for the firm you really understand the purpose of everything you're doing from from the bottom as soon as you're a trainee you know starting out in the industry even when you're applying you should try and look at you know, where does the firm see itself in five to 10 years? What is its strategy? Where does it see itself um, expanding? You know, who are its core clients? Understanding this and trying to bring something new to them doesn't have to be right at the beginning of your you know, career. But later on, I would like to think would be a very um, valuable thing. So I think it's about being authentic um, and understanding the industry. Wow, that's good. And to be honest, it, it kind of sounds easier said than done, like being or be authentic, et cetera, et cetera. But really and truly, like, especially in these corporate industries, it, how do you be authentic? Is there a point in time that you thought you weren't yourself, especially when you're interviewing for these things? Are, are you really Allah from an Arab background, from Slough? Like, is that what you're <laughs> promoting or you're promoting a new ally who's about to be an aspiring solicitor? So how do you differentiate the two? No, I, I love that. I think I try to actively, like I said, think about how, how do I kind of represent myself in a way that shows them this is who I am. And like I, like I just said, I knew I wanted to go in there and show them, okay, I care about community. I care about social mobility. And, you know, the reasons why I care about these things is, you know, your firm, they were the ones that provided this, you know, social mobility initiative that exposed me to the industry in the first place, right? So this is, this is like, for example, one of the reasons why I want to work for you. It, you know, I appreciated their efforts. Um, so I think I did try to actively bring 
myself to it and you have to really do it in the moment um, and write things down when you're preparing so maybe make a list of things that you want want them to know about you or just random things about yourself because like I said before everyone can answer a question about a time when they worked you know in the team Um, but how can you present yourself and your personality within that it's also about listening to your interviewers um, asking questions so for example, one of my interviews, because I'm from the Middle East, I'm quite interested in that region um, and you know the emerging markets there. So when I was doing one of my interviews, the lady that was interviewing me, the partner, she told me that she had worked in the Middle East. So instantly there, because I was actually listening to her, like not completely stressing out, I made a note of that because that's something that I could speak to her about because I was interested in it as well. So listening to your interviewer and being genuinely interested in their journey too, I think is very important. Um, and try and build rapport. Be yourself, be you know personable, smile, never underestimate a smile. I think that's being authentic. I think there are certain instances where I, like, I do think, oh, Alan, like, are you not being yourself? And I think it happens quite unconsciously, whether it's like, the way I speak sometimes like naturally when you're speaking to someone a little bit more senior like your voice might change a little bit and I notice that happens with me a lot um does that mean I'm not being authentic I'm not sure but I guess that's kind of changes that happen unconsciously yeah no no I I think the same as me I'm not going to sit here and like yeah. uh, my voice changes <laughs> depending and I think to be honest I think it's actually more so emotional intelligence of how you communicate to people let's be real because my voice changes when I speak to some of my friends my voice might change when I speak to my mom my voice will change when I speak to and it's not like a drastic change my, my, it's the same even on this podcast because um, I'm so engaged and I want to ask you, you know, really good questions so we can get a lot of value out of this conversation, my voice might change, but depending, does that make sense? Yeah, so yeah. I think um, it definitely, it doesn't steal away from your authenticity if you're, if you're a little little hiccup <laughs> in your voice. But um, no, you, you touched on, again, something really good about listening, those listening skills, and you just literally listened out and you heard that your interview was from the Middle East. And it, it actually relates. So I was doing my internship, right? And the difference between, um, so I basically had like a mentor, someone senior that was working in, in the bank that was interning in. And he, this piece of advice, I'll never forget. He basically told me that as soon as you start your internship, basically get something called a little black book. And it sounded a bit weird. I was like, what were you talking about? He was just like, get a little black book. And every time you have a conversation about something, like write down minor details about someone, like listen, if that makes it like intentionally listen. So I used to speak to different um, workers, uh, VPs, et cetera. And I just hear, oh yeah, I'm going, it's my you know sister's birthday on the weekend. I'm just like noted as a sister. <laughs> it sounds a bit weird, but it's... Do you know what? It it's like you're intentionally listening and, and then I have a conversation um with them and I'll be like, Oh, how's your sister's birthday? I'll be like, Oh yeah, it was good, XYZ. And okay, this is because one, I was online as well. So this is why it worked as well. I was virtual. So it's not like I'm in person where you just naturally just have those conversations. I, I had to work a bit harder to actually listen in because when you're online you have a tendency to just you might just, you know, blank out what people are saying. Um, you can have another tab open. <laughs> like, there's so many distractions. But yeah, that little black book, game changer, because I know things about people. I, as in, like, I intentionally know things about people and I bring it into conversations um, subconsciously, sometimes consciously. And I think it also just is it's, it's nice, right? People like to 
hear that you know hear that you're listening or you know things about them and um it's even from a book um called how to how to win friends and influence people and it talks about how when you say somebody's name so if i if i talk to you the first thing i'm gonna say hey allah or i'll approach you or say your name oh that that was really nice allah you'll be like oh like <laughs> you know my name <laughs> yeah so um i think yeah listening skills if you're listening which you should be if you're listening and make sure you're listening because there's a lot of gems on this podcast and what we do or what I do, should I say, I release a weekly newsletter. So make sure you're subscribed at www.valuablepodcast.com where I'll be putting in more information for you to read as well. But isn't this good? This is a great conversation. Okay. I'm enjoying it. Are you enjoying it, Ella? Yeah, I'm enjoying it too. I feel like <laughs> it's very rare that you just kind of sit and talk about your journey because a lot of the time you really kind of forget where you started and you know the things that you've achieved so I really do appreciate it honestly because it's it's, it's you know I've been preparing for this for a long time you know what I mean? so, <laughs> no it's, it's good the fact that you actually said that right I heard this as well like we life is going so fast you you don't stop to think about where you came from and the thing about that is where you are now is because of where you came from like what you're doing back then if I if I take it back to what I've been doing like new people that engage with me or hey Victor like they don't know they don't know what how I'm here (laughs) right you went through some trials and tribulations so sort of like yeah just like reflecting I mean you sitting here talking about your journey like is there is there any like sort of pivotal moment in your life that that you think that's got you here I don't think there was a pivotal moment, but I'll say it's just been a long journey. It's been a long journey. I think, like I said, it was personal hardship. I think that it wasn't like an overnight thing at all. So I I think it was going through things, experiencing things and wanting better. I think that was like the clear focus um, that I've had and I've still had. I'm not not there yet. Do you know what I mean? I'm not there yet at all. So I don't think there was a pivotal moment, but I will say the work that I was doing in youth parliament with my community, with youth clubs like AXAF, the youth service, Laos Youth Service, it's amazing. The people, you feel loved, you feel like you belong in a place, you feel empowered, you feel confident, like there's something out there for you. Um, that that was also such a big, big, big part of my life. But I don't think that was a pivotal moment. Pivotal moment. So many things, yeah. Yeah, so sort of just like the journey of you doing so many different things and I said a few different sort of hardships and on your sort of journey um I know with politics people really have strong opinions have you had like any sort of people come up against you any sort of threats I think the the biggest thing that comes to mind is when I went to the house of commons and I did a speech there so that's when I was representing Stout at the time with the UK parliament and I didn't know that people were that opinionated and actually just loved to hate as much until that moment. So what happened is they record um, the whole sitting in the House of Commons when you're debating, they record it all um, and they can post clips of it online. I think it's like you can watch it like live on BBC Parliament like on the day, but also there's like news, um, news media platforms that kind of can take clips and put it on their platform. So what happened one time was... So I think it was Channel 4. Channel 4 took a snippet of my video and posted it on their Facebook. And Facebook, right, is like just the craziest platform. Like since then, I've, I've 
I just don't like Facebook because there's a lot there's a lot of people on Facebook and when things go like viral if they if Channel 4 put something on their on their platform and they post it a lot of people are going to see it like thousands thousands of views right so what came along with that I wasn't just putting slow on the map I was getting a lot of call for it um there was just a lot of really nasty people um it's like in my area very like I said multicultural you're very much sheltered from a lot of like nasty people that are like either racist or all these sort of things like um I was like I'm white passing right so I I instantly even in my community have a lot of privilege in comparison to other people um but when it was something like on a bigger scale like my face was put out on a bigger scale that was mm. really like when I started to realize there are actually nasty people there are Islamic Islamophobic people because I'm Muslim right there are Islamophobic people that they started coming coming out for me not just like there was there were sexist comments racist comments about my name uh, about like you know how I looked um everything and it was coming from like, like old people adults like you know people with family and kids that were just commenting it was like it was really crazy um at the time because I was still pretty young I think I was like maybe like 16 or something it was it was very frustrating because it made me kind of realize like do I actually want to be in politics do I would I want to become an MP would I be able to handle um kind of like a media presence with a lot of people at you and it's not just people saying that oh I don't like what she thinks or I don't like you know what she's saying but they're 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 adding you they're coming like for you as a person um Mm -hmm. I think it just kind of like made me realize that there are a lot of people that don't don't just agree with you know what you're saying but might not just agree with you as a person and like what who you are um and I thought that was very crazy for me to experience and that's something I always think about and anytime I think about okay do I see myself in a career um, in politics you know with a media presence would I be able to handle that like I always just think of that that moment yeah no that's that's actually quite horrible the way people are and like they get onto you but I think that like you said like what politics like you're up you're up for the sharks if that makes sense like look at all politicians in the UK sorry sorry, but the thing is like like we were kids, do you know what I mean? So it was it was really shocking. Like I wouldn't think people would want to do stuff like that. Like they there were some nice comments, but there were also people like these kids, you know, what what do they know kind of thing. So it was it was pretty nasty. Um mm. But do you do you feel like it's giving you sort of a thick skin, a hard skin? Because I know that you'll probably need that as well in your in the career that you're going into. I think definitely I think it just showed me the reality of what things are like and if anything if I if I did want to go into politics like this is something that I'd have to deal with so I'm quite like glad in the sense that I I've been exposed to it and I'm not it's not something that comes as a shock at all um I think it's just knowing how to navigate that and knowing how to respond to that and a lot of the time it's by maybe just not responding and moving on. Like at that moment, like what 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 could I possibly do? I wasn't going to reply to thousands of comments saying like, you know, I, was, I wasn't going to do that. So I just had to just close it and just move on with my day. Um, yeah. Yeah. And sort of like when it comes, you, you mentioned it was like kind of like a shock. So like, I guess with surprises that mm-hmm. the, 
the natural element of surprises is like you you don't know something is happening so like is there anything in your sort of journey that's really shocked you or surprised you and you maybe didn't know how to deal with it I think probably the most recent example would be COVID um with COVID obviously that was very difficult for a lot of people um very difficult for me particularly because my dad passed away and at that period at the same time um was application season um yeah that was application season so that was kind of like the it was like the peak like everything I'd been working towards it was like okay now I'm starting to get interviews you know for for jobs like this is this is pretty big so I think that probably was um the the biggest shock I think things like rejections you know that that's just a part of the process so those didn't really come as a shock to me when I was like going through this journey um with commercial law right but I think the the passing of my father whilst at uni um and trying to secure grad roles was very very difficult because I think like literally to be very vulnerable um on this podcast I had an interview on the day that my dad passed away so it was very very crazy um as you can imagine and I think it it was a very pivotal moment for me right in in a positive sense because it made me kind of reevaluate everything um and as you might have gathered from this podcast like before that moment a lot of things were very career focus um you know very much like achievements like this, these were very big things for me like I was you know very ambitious I saw I'm ambitious but just you know what maybe not as much as I was before mm. um and I think it it knocked me off a little bit because you know a lot of the things that you do right now it's a part of it is for your parents it's it's for the people that you're around um and honestly like I even once get, getting my training contracts, it wasn't something like I felt like I could truly celebrate. Not because like I didn't have anything to celebrate, but it was more so, you know, the people that it was for, you know, they weren't all around me at that period. Um, so like, I think this is to say, it's not like, this is not to say, oh, like, give me some pity or whatever. Like, it's more to emphasize, like, it's not just about your success it is really about who is there around you for you to share it with and that is something that honestly I did not appreciate um until that moment um, and that period of my life so one thing I learned just to I guess maybe leave it on a positive note is there are a lot there are a lot of important things in your life your career is important success is important progress is important but those around you like irreplaceable right so trying to like maintain your purpose um and just seeing how valuable I am it has definitely been difficult um but it has reevaluated my life in a, in a better way appreciating things that I might not have appreciated you know a lot of things in life is just based on like accolades and you know what you can tell people you've done um but there's a lot more there's a lot more meaningful things behind that so don't lose sight of that even when you're trying to you know chase your dreams trace this grad role like sit down and appreciate the more simple things that's like the one thing i really really want to emphasize um oh, that's yeah <laughs> i'm actually lost for words now um 
No, yeah, it's it, it, it's sort of, it's hit me, if that makes sense. It's hit me because I could get this success, right? These accolades, you're doing so well. And when you actually said that, it's more so about who's there to share it with you. And especially when you're at uni, right? Because uni is like a, a getaway place to grind. Mm-hmm. You go away from your home, you're out grinding, you're posting on social media, all these amazing things you're doing. Maybe, yeah, your family's seeing it too, but it's like, who, and when, you know, push comes to shove, who is there to, exactly. for you to enjoy it with? And and maybe that's even a sort of a prompt for me, myself as well, to spend more time with my family and spend more time about the things that sort of like actually matter in life. Because it's hard to strike the balance because I'm not here saying don't, chase your goals because that's just completely contradictory to what I'm trying to do with this podcast so but I guess what we're learning from Allah is that yes we want to obtain a certain level of success yes we want to provide value because this is what I said being valuable gets you rewarded does that make sense but I guess is looking more so on different spheres of life like are you in your family in your community we touched on community a lot we've been touching on family and you're just providing a different perspective so that's powerful and the last thing i'll just quickly end off is gratitude being grateful and um oh man am i grateful that you joined me on this podcast (laughs) but honestly there's things that i probably never like said to people that i've said on this podcast so yeah yeah so i guess being grateful being grateful um but yeah that, that that's it um i hope you guys take that on but in 2022 is there something that's pressing that you want to do i don't think there's anything pressing i think it's more like i said about community i want i have a little bit of a gap before i start the lpc so i just want to pursue my passions do things i genuinely enjoy doing um try and see if i can work on some projects with my community um yeah once I finish university before I start the LPC um I'll I think I'm also releasing something quite exciting I'm not going to get into it um at the moment we can't get a little little teaser stay stay tuned um like follow me on like LinkedIn um and on social media like on TikTok and Instagram yeah no perfect I was literally just about to ask that but um I'm going to do something different in this episode I feel like I'm going to close off close it off asking a question um so I'm going to ask you a question and what no sorry so it's like a game so we're going to play a game right now (laughs) just to close off the podcast I'm going to say one word and you're going to tell me the first thing that pops into your mind okay (laughs) you ready yeah I'm ready okay three two one valuable oh victor <laughs> <laughs> that was not the answer i was expecting that's a good personal yeah that's a good word to be associated with you no no fears um but no i mean the whole purpose was i was trying to just get across what does value mean to you love honestly love people there's there's so much love in the world you need to just absorb it okay you know love is the most valuable thing I think in my life at this point um so give it take it appreciate it don't neglect it um build it all of these things just love life is beautiful man just love it perfect perfect thank you so much Allah this has actually been really really insightful and genuinely 
lovely conversation. Um, I hope a lot of the listeners are taking value from this. I think you mentioned it before, but we're just going to do it again. Where can they find you, follow you, support you? So um, my social media is fz.alaa. Um, you can find me on TikTok and on Instagram. And if you want to find me on LinkedIn, it's alafawaz, A-L-A-A-F-A-W-A-Z. So keep an eye out. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Victor. This has been great. Absolutely loved it. <laughs> Wasn't that episode so great, filled with so much value? If you enjoyed it as much as I did, make sure to share it with a friend or family and follow us on social media at Valuable Podcast. And don't forget to sign up to the mailing list at www.valuablepodcast.com. Remember, increase the value you provide and you'll rise in due time.